Our Old Testament reading this morning is the 128th Psalm. It can be found in your Bibles on page 573. Please follow along with me as we read. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy, and it shall go well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you now to listen uh, to the New Testament reading, which is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter uh, 13. And as I uh, prepared to uh, read it for you this week, I, I tried to imagine how the first hearers heard these words. It, uh, what you have here uh, is a, a, there's a cumulative effect in, in Jesus' words. And so uh, I invite you to put yourself in that place uh, back in the first century and uh, hear these words as Jesus uh, must have spoke them the first time. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with uh, verse 31. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and and hid, and then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new And what is a world? This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, let me ask you something, and this is a question you may never have asked yourself before, but a question that I think is at the the very center or heart of Jesus' teaching. It's certainly at the heart of, uh, of the gospel stories. In other words, if we don't confront this question... Uh, head on, we've got, uh, we haven't got a clue uh, as to what Jesus came among us to do. So uh, are you ready? Uh, here it is. Have you ever experienced 
uh, a joy which radically and decisively changed all of your priorities, which caused you to let go of everything that was previously important to you. Have you ever experienced a joy like that? I mean, tell me, isn't that what uh, Jesus is talking about in this barrage of, uh, of parables? Uh, by, uh, in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, we find one parable after another with this same truth uh, at the center, namely that there is something uh, of infinite value in life, and often it's hidden, often uh, it's not obvious. You have to look for it, but once you have found it, uh, once you have uncovered it, once you uh, recognize its worth, uh, you will let go of everything else in life so that you can have this one thing. Now, if you know what that means, and if you've done that uh, with your life, Jesus is saying, then uh, you know what the kingdom of heaven is all about. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this before or uh, noticed it or if you've ever thought deeply about it, but Jesus had one central teaching, right? only one, one core truth, and throughout his ministry, he never deviated from this one truth. So every day he would wake up and he would go to work and, and what came out of his mouth or what he demonstrated uh, through the things he did uh, was the same truth again and again and again. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we read that after, uh, after John was arrested, which seems to have been a signal uh, that Jesus should get started with his work, uh, the cue that he should begin, uh, after John was arrested, the Gospel says he came to Galilee uh, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, and this was the message that, that everyone responded to, the time is fulfilled or the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and, and believe in this good news. Well, it's astonishing in a, in a way, I mean, uh, that Jesus had such a simple message. Uh, we make it very complicated, but in reality, it wasn't. During my interview with the search committee from this church, if you had said to me, Doug, uh, what kinds of themes do you like to uh, preach about? What are the subjects you come back to uh, uh, again and again? I, I could have said, well, there's just one. You know, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. You know, that's pretty much my entire sermon repertoire. And if I had said that, you would have thought, well, we can't have that. Uh, the, the same message uh, every week? And yet, that's what Jesus said. Right? The kingdom of uh, heaven or uh, the, the kingdom of God, those terms can be used uh, interchangeably because uh, Matthew was writing to a, a predominantly Jewish Christian audience. Matthew preferred to use the word heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven has come among you. Right? So recognize it and, and, and discover it and turn your life around as a result of it. So that's what it means to repent, change directions, change whatever you were doing to take hold of this one thing that is so precious. So let me come back to the question that I asked at the beginning, because really this is the question that gets at the heart of what it means to have a spiritual life and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, have you ever experienced a joy which radically and decisively changed all of your priorities, right, which caused you to let go of everything that was previously important to you. 
At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus would walk along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there, and some of these stories must have come to mind as you walked along. And Jesus would say to the fishermen, is this what you want? Is this work bringing any joy at all to you? Or he would approach a tax collector and, and he would say something similar. He would say, have you found joy in your life? Have you found the deep meaning that you were hoping to find in, in this work? Uh, and I think you know how this goes. One by one, they, they, they dropped everything to follow him. And at the beginning, there were 12 core followers. And, and these were the ones uh, Jesus decided to give himself to. He spent just about every hour of every day with them, uh, uh, teaching them, answering their questions, occasionally mediating their conflicts. Uh, but there were other followers beyond those 12. And at one time, in the earliest days of Jesus' ministry, there were hundreds and, and, and sometimes thousands of them. Mark's Gospel uh, tells us that a great multitude from Galilee followed him, uh, hearing all that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea and Jerusalem and uh, Idumea uh, beyond the Jordan and the region around Tyre and Sidon, which is now uh, Lebanon. Well, this was an extraordinary movement, right? Uh, from quite a large geographical area, uh, no wonder that it attracted the attention of the Roman authorities. And, and not only was this uh, a big crowd uh, drawn to a charismatic teacher... I suppose there's nothing new about that. This crowd was hungry for a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth, or what they heard Jesus say, was that there is something in you, and something in me, and something among us that needs to be uncovered. And once we uncover it, once we find it and identify it, then we need to devote our lives uh, the crowd was so hungry, uh, as you know, for this truth that they left their businesses behind, uh, something their father had built in order to uh, leave to them. Uh, they left it all behind. They left their families behind. Right? They were willing to sacrifice everything simply because Jesus pointed to a kind of uh, joy, a pearl of great price, a treasure hidden in a field, something that they were desperately hungry for. Something that uh, we are all hungry for. Something that every human being needs and wants. Now some of you uh, know that an uh, Arab Christian pastor uh, by the name of Elias Shakur has had quite an impact on, on my life. Uh, I met him on my first trip to Israel and last year I brought members of this church back uh, to Israel to uh, see him at his school in Galilee and he retired a few years ago as the uh, Archbishop of, of Galilee. Well, Father Shakur, or Archbishop Shakur, uh, ha has been a guest in my home in the U.S. a couple of times, and he's preached for me as, as well. Uh, on one of his visits to the Chicago area, uh, because a few of my church members worked at the Options Exchange, I took Father Shakur to the trading floor uh, to see my church members at work. And uh, markets, uh, I know, are almost entirely electronic these days, but when we visited, there were the, still these guys, almost all men, uh, wearing bright jackets, and they, would, they were calling out their, uh, their orders. And uh, the trading floor, uh, in case you've, uh, most of you have seen these things, I, I'm sure, looked like casinos with the yelling and, and the, the bright lights and the, and, the, uh, and the lack of smiling. 
And uh, like a casino, I, as I said, not, no one is smiling very much. Anyway, Father Shapur with his uh, long cassock and uh, long uh, beard, looking very much like the Orthodox priest uh, that he is, uh, approached one of the traders, someone I did not know. This, this person was not a member of, of my church. And I mean, this was a, a perfectly innocent question. He, he, he approached a trader and he said, are, are you happy? <laughs> and it, it, it was such a, a, a startling and, and disarming question, and I don't even remember anymore if the, if the man answered. But at that moment, I, I remembered this story from the, the earliest chapters of the Gospels. Jesus would simply ask, have you found any joy in what you are doing? Uh, just as a footnote to that story, because someone is going to ask me at the door, uh, that man made a large contribution <laughs> uh, to uh, Father Shakur's work in, in northern Israel, right, and, and became a continuing part of the, the missionary effort there. But uh, that's a story for another time. A few years ago, a ministry scholar uh, by the name of Kenda Creasy Dean uh, published a book about youth ministry, which uh, seemed to speak a prophetic word that the church needed to hear, and, and in fact still needs to hear, and as with all prophetic words, it was not easy to hear. Uh, what she said was that young people are growing up and they're, they're leaving the church because uh, we think they want to be entertained, right? When what they really want is something to die for, something to give their lives to. And everyone who has ever uh, done youth ministry uh, knew that she was speaking the truth while the church was busy planning the next cool activity. And trust me that there are no more creative people on the planet than those people who do youth ministry. And while we are busy thinking of, uh, of the next cool program for our teenagers, the youth we are trying to reach are leaving to find something that is worthy of their time. They want to die for a cause. Right? And, and we give them snacks. Right? And, then, and then pat ourselves on the back because we're so good at it. As I said, this was hard to hear. I mean, for one thing, parents don't want their children out there dying for some cause. But what Kenda Dean identified in her work with, with the young adult mind is that this is precisely how we are wired. Right? When you are 17 or 18 years old, frankly, when you're 63 years old, you want to know that there is something out there that is worth your time and, and, and your gifts and, and your life. And, and you want more than anything to give yourself to that one thing. And as I think you know, people will work long hours and, and they will sacrifice time with their families and, and uh, their children and they will sacrifice their own health. Right? If, if they think they have found something worthy, and, and I think that's because that's how we're, we are made. Uh, I'm concerned, uh, of course, about young people, but I'm also uh, uh, concerned uh, that we give them more than entertainment. Right? Uh, I'm also concerned about older people. Some of us have, have poured our lives into our, our children's lives, or, or we've poured our own lives into our marriages or we've poured our lives into a, a, a business that has employed us, and, and we give and give and give and, uh, until we are depleted, and, and sometimes, not always, but often enough, uh, we discover that our devotion, oh, has not been reciprocated. The, the, the thing or the person that we give ourselves to did not love us as completely as we loved it. 
And, and, and frankly, it can be a, a terrible discovery. It can be shattering. Right? And, and, and we can spend whatever remains of our lives feeling angry and, and resentful and, and bitter uh, about it. Or we can look once again for that joy that is hidden in a field. I'm not saying, by the way, that we shouldn't love our children. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our spouses. And I'm not saying that we sh- you know, shouldn't love our work. But, but I, I, what I'm trying to say is that those things, however precious uh, they may be, are, are not the pearl of great price. There is something more. Uh, a few years ago in the United States, a, a program was launched called uh, Teach for America. And, and maybe you've heard of this. Uh, schools in the U.S., especially in the larger cities, were not attracting the best teachers, and, and uh, the, the students were not receiving uh, good educations, uh, to put it mildly, and, and the situation was bleak, and in fact, worse than bleak. And so the idea was born, uh, the idea behind Teach for America was that uh, it, they would find the very best university graduates uh, and who might be willing to give two or three years of their lives, some of the best years uh, of their lives, uh, after graduation, to teach in these failing schools uh, in some of the least attractive uh, places in, in the country. Uh, the income would be very, very low uh, com- comparatively, uh, but the experience, the privilege, uh, perhaps, would be uh, valuable. I mean, that was the hope. Anyway, uh, one day a recruiter uh, from Teach for America uh, came to Duke University, one of the leading universities in the U.S. Recruiters are nothing new on on university campuses. This is how many students find work after graduation. Uh, The recruiters reserved a room on campus for an afternoon and and promised to explain the new program to anyone who was interested. Well, when the time came, the recruiter found that the room was filled to overflowing. Every seat was taken. There were people standing in the back and uh, along the aisles, and and the students were eagerly awaiting uh, the story. And instead, according to the way the story has been told to me, the, the recruiter entered and, and looked briefly at, at, at the students and then said, well, I can see that you all come from good families and I can see that you, all, you are all very smart students and that you are going to be heavily recruited by the big firms and that most of you are therefore not going to be interested in this program, but I will leave a few brochures up here at the desk uh, in case anyone is interested. And having said that, the recruiter left. Uh, There was a stunned silence for a few seconds. This was not what they were expecting. And then suddenly, the entire group rushed forward to get one of those brochures. Teach for America has enjoyed, against all odds, a, a great deal of success in the United States. And why? Right, Because there is within us, within most of us, I think, a desire to to give ourselves to something. I don't have any Teach for America brochures this morning. But I do have a simple message for each one of you. I know that most of us would would like to have financial success and some of the nicer things in life. I know that most of us would like to have good holidays and interesting places and so forth. And so you may not be all that interested in what I have to say. Uh, But on the off chance that you have discovered that that money isn't everything, uh, on the off chance that you've discovered that the the nicer things in life are nice but not of surpassing value, uh, on the off chance that uh, you are still hungry for more, I want to say this one thing to you. 
there is something more that is available to you. Unfortunately, it is hidden. It is not obvious to everyone. Often people step over it because they don't really notice what it is, but to those who recognize it, to those who make the discovery, it is worth more than any job, and it is worth more than any investment, and it is worth more than life itself. And I am speaking, of course, about the kingdom of heaven. This, this spiritual reality that somehow defies description, but that is as real as anything in our lives. If you would like to give your life to something, something that is truly worthy of your time and your talents and your life, I hope you will begin to look for what has been inside you and all around us for your entire life.